Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Green Book Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm Karen Lynch, happy to be hosting today's episode. Our guest today is somebody that I had the pleasure of meeting in Austin previously this year at IIEX North America. Jennifer Liu is the customer research lead at REI. Now, if you're not familiar with REI, I can't wait to have Jennifer tell you a little bit more about it. It's a really great place to shop, but it is also so much more than that. And they're doing some really great work that, again, we were fortunate enough fortunate enough to have Jennifer bring to the stage in Austin. So truly the best thing for us to do is allow Jennifer to introduce herself to you because she can do it best. Jennifer, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for having me at IIEX and for this podcast as well. I am very happy to introduce myself. So um, my name is Jennifer Liu. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a customer research lead at REI. So I'm part of um, an enterprise customer research team here, and my specific area of expertise is really around leading primary research for the enterprise, using both quantitative and qualitative methodologies, and really helping to translate learnings that we get from our research into actions for our partners. And so I've spent my entire career in the market research and consumer insights world. I've worked both on the vendor and the client side across various industries, including consumer packaged goods. Uh, the tech industry, and now retail and the outdoors. And so I've gotten a good grasp on consumer sentiments and behaviors across these categories. I also wanted to share that personally, I did study global media at NYU, where it really became clear to me the importance of media representation, especially given that I am Chinese American and growing up, I didn't really see a lot who looked like me in media or the outdoors or other industries at large. I am personally interested in better representation in areas that I am interested in. And so to that degree, when it comes to my professional work life as well, I am committed to advocating for consumers' voices in research that will help inform business decisions, especially for those who are traditionally underrepresented. And it's really this diversity of perspectives that also drives better quality of research. So I see that as inherent. It has been encouraging to see over the past few years that brands and companies and society at large are making commitments to inclusion and belonging to underrepresented groups in various industries. And I'm really proud to be doing this kind of work at REI. I do see that REI has been paving the way forward for inclusion in the outdoors industry, even when I think about how internally we had a belief that a life outdoors is a life well-lived. That's changed to time outside is fundamental to a life well-lived. So that change in perspective from the outdoors to outside to be more inclusive of like everyday definitions of going outside and spending time outdoors is also really important in helping to to change that narrative. There is so much to unpack with that. I'm like, ooh, I wanna talk to you about that. Ooh, I wanna talk to you about that. So thank you, first of all, for sharing so much there. Let's just talk about that last point because you know, we'll dig into representing the voice of the customer, which I think is you know something incredibly powerful for insights professionals who are in our audience. But also, you know, so so we're talking about kind of having inclusivity in participants in research, inclusivity to the 
audience members that we have, you know, that REI has, people that are customers of REI and partners of REI, but then also inclusivity in terms of those outdoor occasions. Like, what a great field of research you must be able to operate in. What are some of the, the things you do to take all of that into consideration? Yeah, for sure. I talked about this at IIEX too, that we had seen that with the changing demographic of the U.S., we wanted to also make sure that we were accounting for this change in our member demographic. We have a goal of 50 million members. And in order to reach that goal, we cannot just go after the traditional consumer that we have been going after, someone who's more white and identifies as a man. We need to go after those who are younger and more diverse. And so when we think about the younger, more diverse consumers, what kinds of activities are they doing? They are doing more of the everyday activities like running and cycling. And to that degree, we were doing more research then that was focused on these categories that REI hasn't historically played in before. We have heritage in legacy activities like camp and hiking. That's what we're known for. But if we're trying to move into activities like run and cycling, which are more everyday, then we need to understand those consumers as well. And we have seen that that's been successful recently in targeting someone who is younger and more diverse. We've seen that our members, the newer members, are changing to become younger and more diverse as well. So we know that our acquisition efforts are working. But we also know that they have different attitudes and behaviors in shopping than someone who we've catered to in the past. And so we also need to do more research to understand our newer members and members at large. So we can't focus only on acquisition, but also on our members. And so we think about that too. As we're acquiring a different kind of customer, what can we do to make sure that we're meeting their needs? And to that degree, we're thinking about research that will optimize a membership experience for our current members in addition to the ones that we will acquire. It's so awesome. And, you know, the research geek in me is like chomping in the bit to say to you, what kind of research do you do? Because I'm, I'm sitting here, I have a qualitative background and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, gosh, you know, are you doing ethnographies? Are you hiking with people? Are you walking with people outside? Are you camping? You know, do you do kind of outdoor ethnography, which is my big suddenly curiosity, but also like, are you doing, you know, you must be doing brand tracking to see how you're doing. And then you're talking to users, you're talking to, or, or, you know, members, and you must be talking to non-members or lapsed members. Like you must be doing all of it. It feels like a lot of work all of a sudden. <laughs> yes. I know you just described everything that we touch on. We do a brand equity tracker that helps us track awareness over time of REI, as well as competitors in the space, in the outdoor landscape. We're also tracking purchase intent and consideration to shop at REI in addition to these other competitors. So we do that at a quarterly basis, but we are also doing other ad hoc research that is dependent on the business questions of the time. So what you touched on of like retention and talking to lapsed members, talking to active members, we're doing that kind of work as well. And the way that the methodologies will take shape does depend on what we feel like the question, how it's taking form. So for example, if we feel like a shop along is the best approach to understand how someone might be thinking about the different product assortment that we have at REI, then we will go that path. If we feel like a focus group of like identities is the right path to talk about a sensitive topic, like what we had done with the outdoor Afro groups, that is going to be the approach that we take. If we feel like we need to have a better understanding of what is the size of opportunity in any given space, then we'll go a quantitative route. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners right now on the brand side who are like, I wish I had permission to do all that different types of research. So hats off to REI for allowing you to do so much. I think it's probably, 
you know, it's it's fantastic. And I'm sure there's lots of companies that are doing it, but there's also lots of companies who who have some guardrails up and they can't explore the way you're exploring. Yeah, I definitely feel lucky to be part of a team that allows us to do as much as possible within, of course, the the restraints that we have <laughs> with budget, which I know a lot of companies are dealing with, especially in today's climate. Yeah. So I want to go back. You mentioned the outdoor Afro effort, and I'm sure our listeners do not know what that is. Some of them might. They might have heard you talking about it previously, but let's just go there for a minute. Talk to us a little bit about that initiative and, you know, kind of always remembering, like, how did Insights, what role did Insights have? What role does Insights have in the organization for initiatives like that? So we at REI have had a longstanding partnership with Outdoor Afro Outdoor Afro Inc. is a nonprofit that really supports and celebrates Black and African Americans outside in nature and getting to enjoy time outdoors. And so throughout this partnership, we've been able to give each other thought leadership. And there came a time and a realization that there aren't any products out there that really suit the needs of those who identify as Black or African American when it comes to hiking gear and apparel. And so we work together to co-create a hike collection that is really centered around those product needs that haven't existed before for those who are Black and African American. As a part of the research efforts, we wanted to do focus groups that were among those who identified as Black and African American. And so we only looked for individuals who identified as those identities because we knew from other research and from internal employee resource groups, seeing that safe spaces among those who were of a similar identity allowed people to be comfortable talking and sharing experiences about that identity. And we were also making sure that we had a moderator who identified as that identity as well. And that was helping to create a comfortable space. And so those who were in this focus group were able to talk very freely about their insecurities about spending time outside as someone who is Black and African-American and what their true product needs were, needing apparel that might have been a little bit wider or needing apparel that would embrace a desire for personal expression. And we incorporated all of those needs directly into the line. And we had launched the line earlier this year. It's out in REI and it really has been successful so far. And for you, I think I heard you say this in North America, it's very gratifying to see the fruits of your efforts being out there in the world, right? So you you have these research projects that you are spearheading or that you are just somehow or another contributing to, whether you're managing them or just being a part of it. And then to see that voice of the consumer make it into a campaign or into a product design, that's very gratifying, I imagine. Absolutely. Just knowing that we had put so much effort into recruiting and into designing the discussion guides and making sure that the voices of these customers were heard directly in the product line that came out was very gratifying. And my favorite part was just knowing that we were able to get the representation of those who were traditionally underrepresented and having their needs catered to in a product line, especially because there were products that did not exist that met their needs in the past. Yeah, I love this. And thank you for sharing some of this because it's incredibly helpful to people. I'm curious about something. This is not in our brief brief, so I apologize in advance. But are there things you did internally to um, 
to socialize this research, to present what you learned that made it something that the company would just take action upon? Because I imagine there are lots of listeners who they do research and they they pass it along and then nothing happens. But in your case, it was acted upon. And I think that's a big deal that I don't want to take too lightly. Anything you did in particular to help the kind of help get the message to the people that are making those decisions in other areas of your organization? Yeah, as a team, we always do have lunch and learns that are at a company-wide level where we invite various members of all different teams to come. So we're not only focused on the group that was involved in the research, but everyone, whether it be in marketing or uh, the product teams or the finance teams to have an understanding of the kind of research that had gone into a product collection And so we do these forums that are maybe at a quarterly level um, to make sure that the information is disseminated. But then we also do workshops that when we do these lunch and learns and when we do these different forums, we make sure that we're helping to translate the learnings into something that can be actionable. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. Can you share without, again, giving away anything too proprietary in terms of your methods, but what's the nature of these workshops? Like, is it literally just cross-functional teams that are involved or do you bring in some of your consumers? Do you have outside experts come in? I'm, I'm kind of a, a fan of, of workshops in general, so I'm curious. Most of our workshops that are intended to help translate learnings into actions are more internal. So we have our stakeholders come together, we'll use a tool like Mural, which is an online whiteboard where people can collaborate together. Um, We'll use a tool like that to make sure that the conversation is productive. But at REI, we also have something called cooperative action. And cooperative action is a way of working. It's more of a, a discipline where we will engage community partners, we engage members, we engage employees to really have their input into the design or production of a product or an initiative. And to this degree, it's a little bit different from dissemination of information, but we have this practice where we will invite different members of the community and those who are in our member base to be able to partake in really brainstorming and contributing their thoughts whenever we have some kind of initiative that we want to launch. So this idea of collaboration and cooperative design and cooperative action is really inherent to the fabric of REI. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense and feels very, very on brand for an organization that is a retail co-op, basically, or, or at least start it. You know, again, I my my knowledge has been kind of from a retail standpoint, you know, and when we've gone camping, it's been like, let's go to REI. And it's only through doing some research that I'm like, actually, there is membership and there are member benefits and it it has its roots as a retail co-op. So anyway, so it is, it's built into your DNA, I suppose, at the organization. Yeah, for sure. When we think about how we engage members, we allow them to test products when they're not ready for launch yet. And we incorporate a lot of that feedback into our beta testing program to make sure that we can refine certain attributes before we launch that product. We also engage community partners who are identity-based. We call them inclusion partners, but they are members of the community who we have sought to partner with and we have an official affiliation with. So those are people like Outdoor Afro and Latino Outdoors. These are nonprofits that we consider to be inclusion partners. And we'll make sure that members of these organizations get a chance to test out the products and give us feedback as well before we go to launch. And so an example that I can speak about is a trail made collection that is made by REI 
anything that we house and make ourselves is called REI Co-op branded items. And so one of the collections that is part of the REI Co-op brand is Trailmade, which we launched earlier this year. And that is a line that is for hiking and camping. And it's also geared for those who were traditionally um, underrepresented. It's very size inclusive, it's gender inclusive. And we had spoken with different inclusion partners to make sure that what we were featuring in this Trailmade collection catered to the needs of these different community partners and affiliations. And so the result was a line that is more size inclusive and uh, inclusive of different shapes, identities, sizes, abilities. And so in this cooperative design process, we made sure to engage community partners before we were able to launch the product. I love that a ridiculous amount, actually. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking it sounds very much like, you know, some overlap for human-centered design, but it's it's so much more than that because it's not just taking in the point of view of the user, but it's taking in the point of view of an advocate for the user almost. So hats off. I think it's neat. Is there overlap to just human-centered design elements in that as well? I know that one of the things that you had shared was sort of you have kind of an empathy building program. So how do those things relate to this concept I have in my head? <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of overlap between cooperative design and human-centered design. We are very focused on the user, but we're also not really just designing for the end user, we're designing with the end user. And maybe that's where some of that overlap happens. When we're thinking about human-centered design, we're also thinking about collaboration with the end user. And that is essentially what cooperative design is, is thinking about how do we co-create with someone who's going to be using the end product or the end service. Yeah, I love that. So, and, and if we go a little meta right now, what's the ultimate goal, right? So we're talking about designing products to make people feel included. And if we ladder that all the way up, I'm sure it ties in with the mission of REI in general. Like, why are you working so hard at your organization for these efforts? Yeah, it definitely goes back to the question of inclusion and representation and why does that matter? My question would be more so, why were these groups not really thought about to begin with? You know, like, why are we even having to talk about inclusion? Why were these groups not considered as a part of the outdoors and, and being outside in the first place. And when I think about that, I think about how nature is a human right. You want to be able to just go outside and get clean air, fresh air, green spaces, access to all of these spaces that can be community spaces as well. But systemic barriers and other exclusionary practices that have been in the way systems like redlining that have really excluded certain communities from benefiting from a human right of fresh air. That is what really gets me going. And I think a lot of people at REI are fighting for the same thing. We have, um, we have just launched an initiative called Outside in Five, which the goal is really to close the nature gap that I talked about. So we think about how we had this campaign called Opt Outside. We had it since 2015, and it's all about closing the doors on Black Friday because we want people to opt outside instead. Instead of shopping, we want them to spend time outside. But when you think about who gets to actually opt outside, it's only a certain group of people. We have 100 million people in the U.S. who actually don't have easy access to parks and green spaces. And so what we've really rallied behind is this Outside in Five campaign where we can get those who have been traditionally underrepresented to 
get outside in five minutes and get access to all the beauty that we want everyone to be able to enjoy in nature. And so I think going back to the initial question of like, why does it matter that there's representation? It goes back to this human right of just being able to get fresh air and, and green space. Well, and the the impact I imagine on you know the people of color in your in your membership in your kind of in your world, and the opportunities that were they were blocked from you know there were there were a time for instance when people of color could not go to beaches or could not go to mountains you know so I think that you mentioned the systemic practices that were in the way for so long and even if they are being dismantled presently, there still has to be now a deliberate effort to then say, we see you in these places. So have you heard from people firsthand the impact of the work that you're doing and what it is what it is doing for individuals who again, you know, might never have seen themselves in your in your or other people's advertising or product launches? Yeah. So as a part of the enterprise research team, we have a VOC program, which is all about the voice of customer. And we get feedback at a continuous basis from these folks, whether it be from a web intercept when they go on REI.com or if they're responding to a survey after a product purchase. We get continuous feedback from customers that is agnostic of a certain research project, which the primary research team is more focused on. And so during these times and in these surveys, we're able to get feedback from customers that talk about the launch of a line like Trailmade or the Outdoor Afro collaboration. And so we do hear very organic feedback from customers that talk about how they feel seen in the Trailmade collection. Um, and the Trailmade collection has been very successful. If you haven't gotten a chance to take a look at it, go on REI.com and type in Trailmade. Um, it really just embraces this desire for brighter colors that are different from the muted, earthy tones that you typically see in outdoor gear and apparel. And it really is about like enjoying the outdoors in a positive way, in a bright way. And because it, it had been intentionally designed to be uh, size inclusive and gender inclusive, we have heard a lot of positive sentiment from consumers about this. And they're, re they're really excited about the possibilities that REI can expand into with a line like Trailmade. And so that's given us a lot of encouragement for the kind of work that we're doing. We have a lot of exciting new product launches under the REI co-op brand coming next year. And that's fueled by a lot of what we've heard from customers about the most recent lines that we've launched like Trailmade. That's so great. It's such gratifying work. And I'm so happy that you're able to do it. You know, it, it has me then thinking, okay, like if we, if we go up even further into this space, what else are you seeing from a trend standpoint about inclusivity in outdoor spaces? Are you seeing other initiatives? Are you seeing other companies doing this as well? Like how, how are you a part of change? Yeah, it's been very encouraging over the past few years seeing that companies and brands in general are embracing inclusion and diversity and also pushing for climate action. And I do think that some people have just jumped on the bandwagon and consumers can really see past companies that are greenwashing or, you know, just doing lip service. And so I think it really is important when companies are able to showcase the tangible ways in which they are contributing to these commitments that they've made and not just talk about them. So I have talked a lot about making sure that we have inclusion represented in marketing and in communications and in what you see, but in what you do, that's also really important. 
And so when I think about what REI has done in in setting trends for the future, um, we are focused a lot in addition to equity in the outdoors, we're also thinking about climate action. And so what are all all of the different proof points that we have to show that we're committed to the climate? We have the biggest outdoor used market. It's called resupply. It's a build on what we used to have called garage sales. Garage sales was uh, maybe like a one time or two year or two time a year event where people could go, members especially could go and take a look at any used gear and buy them for ridiculously low prices. We saw the success of that and expanded it into a program called Resupply, which is an always on program where you can buy used gear at all times of the year, online or in person. We've done a lot of research around Resupply as well. We've done some customer journey maps. We've done some quantitative and qualitative research to understand the motivations for why someone would buy used and with thrift and just engage in this circular economy as opposed to purchasing new. And so we have put a lot of resources and efforts behind resupply because we think that the trend, especially when we're thinking about climate change and climate action, it is moving more towards a circular economy. And that is something that a lot of our younger consumers are doing as well. We see Gen Z and other younger consumers are really embracing this idea of thrifting. And so we want to make sure that we are catering to the needs of our customers, but also have an effort towards committing to something that we we have said we would commit to, which is climate action. I just love this so much. And again, now like research geek coming out, I'm like, oh my gosh, the kind of like ethnography at a place like that, like where people are doing that reshopping, if you will, or bringing things into, you know, I just, I just want to get, I just want to be a part of that research. And of course, I'm not executing research anymore. So that is not a, that is not a, at all a, a ploy to say, hey, get me involved in that. But I just love the idea of how many different touch points you have for research with your consumers and your members, it feels really cool. And I think it's cool because from what I'm hearing in this conversation is you can do all those things because your team is really valued throughout the organization. Like that's what I'm hearing between the lines is how much the voice of the customer matters and how much your efforts as a research team matters and how much of your work is actually being factored into decision-making. Again, I think that's fairly unique. It definitely has been a privilege to be valued at our organization. When I think about consumer insights and customer insights in other organizations, it's seen more as a support arm. And I feel that within our team, in the, the context of the broader organization, we do add a lot of value. People come to us as thought leaders. We're not just you know providing research and, and data points, but we're providing that thought leadership. And so that has been very unique. I do feel, again, very fortunate to be brought into decision-making processes from the very start. A lot of times, actually, it's become almost like a hampering to making decisions until consumers are brought into the conversation, which actually is a great thing for someone who's working in customer research and consumer insights because we want the voice of the customer represented in whatever that initiative is, especially if that initiative is going to be helping us not not just for the business profitability, but for that business profitability to then impact all of our philanthropic efforts. There is so much of a domino effect that starts from the consumer and that can have a ripple effect into philanthropic efforts that then impact the greater outdoor industry. Mm, I love that. I love the fact that there's a ripple effect internally for the good, for the positive, you know, getting that the ripple is actually, you know, a, um, 
the voice of the consumer. I just had a great kind of image of the voice of the consumer kind of traveling on water and and getting where it needs to go. So kudos to you for being that uh, consumer advocate. I really, it's just, again, the research nerd in me is just like, yes, I love this so much. It's it's really great. And part of why we wanted you on the stage at North America, and I'm sitting here thinking like, let's do it again, because that was so fun and it's such an important conversation. So I'm so glad we're here having this conversation. We can put it out there to the world. So now another another kind of question for you, plucking it out of REI and, and maybe we're, um, instead of dialing it up to what else can be happening at a corporate level, but what about at an individual level? Let's get really individual because our listeners are all individuals, right? So what can individuals do to kind of be a part of this positive change that you and your organization are working towards in terms of Mm -hmm. inclusivity? Maybe an example I'll give is more about climate action. Um, And I can also talk about how folks can can contribute at an individual level to something like racial equity and inclusion. When I think about how our resupply program, I'm going back to this because I I do think that it touches on both a systemic effort, but also an individual effort. When I think about resupply, again, this is all about the ability to buy used. I also think about how brands and companies and those that are at a, a larger level have contributed disproportionately to climate change. And so I do think that these same institutions should be taking the responsibility for leading the charge in combating climate change. And what individuals can do is take part in something like resupply and be able to shop used and be able to sell used. That's another component of this program is that you can trade in items that you have already used and you want to get some credit for it. So when I think about what brands can do, they can offer programs that allow individuals to take part. And so that's how I'm thinking about a program like Resupply, that it's offered by a bigger company, but then individuals can also take part and feel good about contributing to something that is at a larger level, that has larger impact. And so when I think about that from an inclusion perspective, supporting the brands that have, you know, boards that are diverse, supporting the brands that have a huge product assortment that might be made from founders of color. So being able to contribute to those that have the platform to make larger impact is the way that an individual can really play their part, if that makes sense. It does. It does on many, many levels. And I I love the the charge. You know, it's it's been easy. We've talked about you know, kind of sustainability before and what can individuals do versus what can companies do. But I like this this charge or this call to action to brands and hopefully become advocates within their companies, other brands to become advocates within their companies for what can they do to help support a circular economy on some level. So we've talked about it a few different categories throughout our year on this podcast, but I just, I love the idea that there may be other categories where they can do things do their part and then make sure that the that they're walking the walk and not just being performative. So super cool conversation. Right. And then offering a chance for consumers to take part in their overall mission, I think is the way to go. As I said earlier, it's not enough to just say that you're committing to something, but if you're offering products or services or a way for consumers to also engage, it can help consumers feel that they're contributing to whatever commitment it is that you're making in the the social justice space. 
Yeah. And I can attest to that. If I have my consumer hat on, I'm like, yep. I remember the first time my husband, you know, bought a pair of shoes from Tom's and he's like, look, I, I got these new shoes. And somehow or another, shoes were given to somebody who needed shoes. And the same thing we have with, you know, one of our favorite brands of socks is like, I bought these socks and yet there are going to be homeless people who are getting socks as a result of my purchase. There is something very powerful about people with discretionary income to make purchases, doing some good in the world via a company that is, you know, taking initiative internally. There is something really powerful about that. And I, I'm sure you hear that from consumers. Yeah, we actually had done a body of work all around taking action and how that feels. And the bottom line is that people feel like they're a drop in the bucket when they're taking individual actions, like, you know, just recycling or just composting or just using a tote bag. And they want to be able to contribute to something that is greater. They also want to be feeling joy when they're doing it. So in this state of like gloom and doom all the time when we're thinking about like climate and when we're thinking about inclusion, it feels as if like everyone's just like all these companies and bigger systems are are telling you that you're doing something wrong. And so I think that a lot of people and this is backed up by research that a lot of individual efforts won't lead anywhere unless you're taking part in something that is bigger and you're taking part in an initiative that is backed by a company or a brand that has that platform to really raise the voice of the individual. Yeah, it's the collective effort that feels, it feels like you are a part of something and the energy that one person gets from knowing that there are other people collectively contributing. I'm sure it's the same psychology. There's probably something very insightful about this. There's some psychology involved in why do we all come together for walks for a cause or, you know, but that's like this community effort. Like we could all just write checks, but there's something about us getting together at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning to walk for two miles to kind of mark what we're doing and the importance and significance of it. So again, I'm sure there's social scientists that have studied that consumer behavior and why collectively we like to make an impact together. What does that say about our humanity? There's a hot topic for the right, day. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great hot topic. And it's something that we've also thought about internally at REI. And I think that's why we have our local marketing arms too. We have certain markets where we have dedicated marketing support. And in these markets, we make sure that we're partnering even more with different community organizations and nonprofits and sponsoring local races and organizing local events for people to get together, especially those who are REI members. So that's a benefit of being an REI member is being able to come to these classes and different get togethers with other members to really learn from each other and also get to know fellow members. That's all part of the cooperative spirit. I love it. I love it. Well, it's again, I'm, we're we're going to wrap up this podcast, but I, I like leaving our listeners with, you know, the idea of the cooperative spirit. And as a community, there is so much in this, even in this insights community that we glean from one another and we are motivated to do because of one another. So a little bit of gratitude to the audience listening right now, because because together we we really it's so cliche that I'm about to say this, but together we really do great things. <laughs> It's true, though. It is. It is. Jennifer, is there a question that I didn't ask you that you're wishing that I had? These were all great questions, and the topics of conversations were just wonderful. There was something I had seen in the brief that made me stop and think, and that was, what is your vision for the future of 
outdoor exploration and inclusivity? And it was such a great question because I I wasn't thinking about this on behalf of REI. I was thinking on about this on behalf of myself. And something I didn't share earlier was that for the past two years, I and my partner had been nomading. So we were digital nomads going around the country and seeing a lot of different outdoor parks. We were really guided by going to different national parks and state parks to see how different people recreate and also because we just have a desire to go hiking and camping. And so I had seen that there were just so many different ways, personally, that people are experiencing time outside. So when, you know, a group of Asian families, when they're, when they're spending time outside camping, they're, they're having hot pot. When there is a group of Hispanic friends, like walking outside, they're listening to, to music. And so it was just the diversity of different ways that I had witnessed personally that just added to my understanding of how there is just a variety of ways that people spend time outside. And so when I think about the future of like inclusivity outside, I want people to be able to just be their authentic selves and also feel safe doing that. Security is a huge topic of conversation when I'm thinking also about like how people are spending time outside. I brought this up in the outdoor Afro example, how a lot of Black and African American people don't feel safe outdoors. I think about how during the COVID pandemic, my dad, as someone who's Chinese, didn't feel safe going outside because of the the anti-Asian sentiment in this country. And so I think about the safety and the security of being able to be outside. So it's not just about representation in media, but also like truly feeling safe, being your authentic self, and also experiencing the outdoors in the way that you want to and not in a way that you're told to do. I love that. And and yes, I'll double that wish out there in the world is for everyone to be able to get the wellness benefit that we know comes from being outdoors, right? That's how we started this whole thing off was just talking about everybody should have the opportunity and ability and the inherent safety in exploring the outdoors to give themselves that sense of wellness that it can give to them. I just personally just spent a week up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and I think I'm still recovering, but because it was something and I I enjoyed it. And I was there with my husband and my one of my children, my daughter, and just the ability to kind of walk through the woods and Although we did have a few moments when we were on the path, we were like, we may never see humanity again. For the most part, we felt, you know, perfectly safe. And, you know, I'm grateful. And actually, my daughter, uh, my daughter was born in China. So she is an American. She was adopted or we adopted her when she was one. And so she is an American, but she was born in China. And so therefore has everything that comes with Asian features. And I had that, I shared that anxiety at that time about my daughter's safety. And it didn't even dawn on me that she might not feel safe outside in the woods like that. So it's an interesting aha for me to think about what my daughter's sense of safety is out there in the world. So my wish is that for anybody, you know, with black or brown skin in our country to feel safe and to feel included and to feel like they can, again, get that wellness benefit. So I'm just so glad we had this conversation, Jennifer. Thank you. I have so much gratitude for it. I really appreciate it this time. Thank you so much, Karen. You're quite welcome. That's going to be our show for today. Thank you so much again to Jennifer for being here. Thank you to Natalie, our podcast producer, who um, also you know added that question into our brief that resonated with Jennifer so much. Natalie, thank you for all you do. To Jamie, our audio editor, who's going to clean up this recording and make us sound as good as we typically sound on these. Thank you, Jamie. And also for this episode, we want to thank our sponsor, SurveyMonkey. 
And of course, to all of you, our listeners, without you, this doesn't have the same meaning that it has. So we appreciate you tuning in week after week, and we look forward to talking to you again some other time. That's all for now. Thank you. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.